welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. It is with great sadness that I report that the saga of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's floating wall of saws is not, in fact, over, as I reported it probably was many weeks ago. The Fifth Circuit has gone in bonk and vacated the panel's decision ordering removal of that floating wall of death in the Rio Grande River. So, en banc decision to come. Maybe I'll review it. Are we really destined to have the Supreme Court decide whether a state is permitted to construct an international death trap in a river? I hope not. With only two cases yet again, well, it's definitely patron shout-out time. Great to have you aboard, new patron Brian Hedrick. And how about you longtime Blessed supporters? Ninad Velosevic, Yuna Scott, Brianna Carey, Derek Upchurch, Russell, Rekka, Amanda, Maria, Will, John, Nicole, so many more. What's up? Shoot me an email. How can I help? You're the best. Here's some cases. Are you tired of answering your own phones? Or of wasting your valuable time on unqualified consultations? Staffy Live is the only 24-7 live receptionist and intake service specialized on immigration law. Staffy Live specialists are highly empathetic, bilingual individuals who know how to deal with adversity, have a background in client care, and are trained to qualify callers by asking the right questions. Staffy Live goes one step ahead in only scheduling qualified consultations on your calendar and then doing follow-ups when needed. Staffy Live is giving a 15-day free trial for any law firm interested with no strings attached. To apply, visit www.getstaffy.com. That's G-E-T-S-T-A-F-I.com and click on Get Started. Make sure to put in the code free. Links, of course, in the show notes.
Our first case is Velasquez Castillo v. Garland, published by the Fifth Circuit on January 17th, 2024. Here we have a great case that Ed Ramos, Chris Rickard, myself, and many others were fortunate enough to help moot for oral argument. If you don't know, oral argument moot is a must before you argue at the circuits. But that's just the smallest of necessary steps. All glory to the awesome attorney who did an awesome job with an awesome case for an awesome client. This case is about motions to reopen. Mr. Velasquez Castillo is currently 21 years old, and he's from Honduras. He and his mother came to the Texas border when he was 16 years old and were placed in the Migrant Protection Protocols, or MPP, the Remain in Mexico policy, that will surely return if a certain someone who used to be president but is not currently president is elected president again. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about Bill Clinton. Mr. Velasquez Castillo and his mother had their asylum claim denied and were ordered removed. But a month after that removal order became final, Mr. Velasquez Castillo came back to the United States-Mexico border, this time alone, and 17 years old. Still a minor. Quote, as a result, immigration officials categorized him as an unaccompanied minor, or UC, and transferred him to the Office of Refugee Resettlement, end quote, as is what occurs to unaccompanied minors. With the assistance of pro bono counsel, he then submitted his own asylum application, and he moved to reopen that removal order, arguing that his removal would violate the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, or TVPRA, and that newly available evidence regarding his sexual orientation was relevant to his eligibility for asylum, withholding of removal, and Convention Against Torture Protection. DHS did not care, and executed the prior order of removal three days later, physically removing Mr. Velasquez Castillo to Honduras. Then, an immigration judge denied that motion to reopen on the merits. Mr. Velasquez Castillo appealed through pro bono counsel, albeit from Honduras. The BIA affirmed the IJ, and Mr. Velasquez Castillo filed a petition for review with the Fifth Circuit. Simultaneously in this procedural history maze, Mr. Velasquez Castillo filed a motion to reconsider with the BIA. He likely did so because he believed the motion meritorious, and because at the time that was kind of the rule in the Fifth Circuit, he needed to move to reconsider before you could challenge many BIA errors at the Fifth Circuit. That's no longer the rule though, thank you Supreme Court, but it pretty much was back then. The BIA denied that motion to reconsider, too. And now it's all before the Fifth Circuit. Looks like oil didn't want to defend this stuff before the circuit for a variety of reasons, and in early 2022, the parties jointly moved to remand the whole thing back to the BIA. Most circuits would have granted that without a second thought. The Fifth Circuit did not. And so, here we are. As I mentioned, the Fifth Circuit remanded. And it's mostly about the TVPRA stuff. Preliminarily, though, is it all moot? Mr. Velasquez Castillo is, after all, physically in Honduras. It is not. Mr. Velasquez Castillo, quote, asserts an actual injury that can be sufficiently readdressed by the relief he seeks from this court. He met the requirements of the TVPRA when he filed his subsequent asylum claim, which is still pending. 
application of the TVPRA to this case would invalidate the existing removal order and provide an alternative pathway for Mr. Velasquez Castillo to pursue his asylum claim, end quote. In layman's terms, the Fifth Circuit thinks that if it rules favorably for Mr. Velasquez Castillo, he's going to get a benefit, even though he's in Honduras, so it's not all moot. That is factually underlying all of this, I believe the unaccompanied minor reliant asylum application remains pending before an agency, notwithstanding the removal order that was executed and that the IJ and the BIA refused to reopen. So that, at a minimum, the Fifth Circuit explained, it can assist with. Bringing us back to the TVPRA, something we never talk about. As relevant to this case, the TVPRA provides that, quote, any unaccompanied non-citizen child sought to be removed by the Department of Homeland Security shall be placed in removal proceedings under Section 240 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, end quote. That is, regular removal proceedings for unaccompanied minor children. And this requirement is mandatory, as it uses our favorite word on the podcast, shall. As such, when the BIA denied the motion to reopen here, by reasoning that it was DHS that had exclusive authority and discretion to in fact initiate removal proceedings against minor child Mr. Velasquez Castillo, that probably wasn't right. It seems that the TVPRA would have required removal proceedings right then and there. So the Fifth Circuit sent it back. Also, the BIA's finding that none of this applied to Mr. Velasquez Castillo anyway because he was no longer considered an unaccompanied child for some reason is probably wrong, but the Fifth Circuit didn't really get into the reasoning on that. So it's going back. But as you may recall, Mr. Velasquez Castillo also alleged that the BIA should reopen his asylum claim due to materially changed country conditions and the submission of new material evidence regarding his sexual orientation. Now normally, the Fifth Circuit is, quote, highly deferential, end quote, to BIA denials of motions to reopen. Nevertheless here, quote, it is unclear whether the BIA sufficiently considered the evidence regarding Mr. Velasquez Castillo's sexual orientation and his experiences with threats of violence in Honduras, end quote. The Fifth Circuit isn't satisfied that the BIA gave this matter the proper attention it deserved. So the court sent it all back. No easy feat to achieve in the Fifth. Or anywhere, really. All of which means, of course, huge congratulations to awesome attorney Elizabeth Cheeky, Sanchez Kennedy, and the Galveston-Houston Immigrant Representation Project. Best of luck on remand. And that is Velasquez Castillo v. Garland. That brings us to United States v. Day, published by the Eighth Circuit on January 16th, 2024. This is a relatively short case about crimes of violence, making for another short week. Mr. Day was convicted of federal arson. The U.S. government tried to enhance his sentence by arguing that his prior conviction for domestic abuse assault enhanced, known as Day, under Iowa Code Section 708.2A3B, were crimes of violence. The district court said they weren't, and refused to enhance the arson conviction. The government appealed. The Eighth Circuit affirmed the district court. Iowa Code Section 708.2A3B is not a crime of violence. 
Very similar crime of violence definition here to the immigration crime of violence. To enhance the federal arson conviction, the Iowa crime must require as an element the use, attempted use, or threatened use of physical force against the person of another. Here, the Eighth Circuit assumed that the Iowa statute was not divisible, that is, that it describes one separate crime, and that the different ways to commit domestic abuse assaults are means rather than elements. That means that all means must match the crime of violence definition, or else the whole crime is never a crime of violence. For crime of violence purposes here, quote, if the crime can be committed without even the threatened use of physical force, it does not have a physical force element, end quote. And physical force, of course, means, quote, violent force. That is, force capable of causing physical pain or injury to another person, end quote. Under Iowa law, this domestic abuse assault enhancement thing imposes increased penalties for, quote, conduct that violates Iowa's simple assault statute and which is committed against someone with a domestic relationship, end quote. And that's what's going to tank the crime of violence analysis, right? It usually is. While the crime is worse than simple assault because it requires that the victim have a domestic relationship with the perpetrator, or for another reason that's not really relevant here, the force required is still only that of simple assault. And simple assault is rarely, if ever, a crime of violence. That's the case in Iowa. For example, there have been convictions in Iowa for simple assault where the person was, quote, touching or poking someone when he has stated that he did not want to be touched, end quote. And there have been convictions where the defendant was, quote, reaching into someone's pocket without permission, end quote. A bit weird, but not violent force. That's the gist of the decision. And by the way, it's how the categorical approach works. And of course of note, despite the obvious domestic nature of this conviction, because the Iowa offense is not a crime of violence, it can never be an immigration crime of domestic violence either, because while it probably has the domestic component, a crime of domestic violence for immigration purposes must still match the elements of a crime of violence. Meaning that Mr. Day's arson conviction remains unenhanced. And check out this footnote. Interesting issue disposed of in a footnote. See, the Eighth Circuit believed that the government had waived any argument that this Iowa statute was divisible because the government didn't make much of a statutory argument and the government didn't point to Iowa state case law or jury instructions in support of their position that the Iowa statute was divisible into separate crimes, some of which were violent and some of which were not. But the government did argue that the statute is, quote, divisible into two clauses separated by the word or, which are separate crimes because they are tied to different underlying penalty provisions, end quote. So that's an argument. And I'm not going to lie, both of those arguments, the or thing and the different penalties, have been used by courts and the BIA alone to deem statutes divisible. But not only did that argument not win the day here, it wasn't even sufficient to preserve the argument as an argument, and the Eighth Circuit deemed the whole divisibility thing waived. Shows just how unimportant separate penalties are to the divisibility analysis, no? A guy can dream. And that is United States v. Day. So there you have it. 
you're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all, and follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Immigration Review, or send us a tweet at ImReview, that's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.